1: Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it.
0: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program from a social media hashtag to a global cause for support and accountability. What's next for the Me Too movement? I'll be in conversation with Atlanta-based Danny Ayers, CEO of Me Too International. Also, more than just a rapper, businessman, activist, actor, and now he's coming to my lane, talk show host Killer Mike on his new PBS venture. It's called Love and Respect with Killer Mike. And
1: here you have another new album coming. Yes. Called The Big Sleepover, where you and your mentor, yep. Sleepy Brown of Organized Noise Productions, Rico Wade, Ray Murray, and Sleepy Brown, now have meshed the whole new sound. Yep. I'm on the album a couple times, and three to (laughs) be exact. Man, Sleepy been
0: on my show, too, Killer Mike. But we going to talk about all of that, those conversations just ahead. But first this, state Senate Republicans have approved a new state political boundary map, after a three hour debate at the Gold Dome, the Senate voted 34 or 21 yesterday to push the map through to the State House, where it faces more debate today. But Georgia Democrats say the process was, quote, rushed and the map fails to provide fair representation to voters of color. And officials say the Senate map contains 33 districts that will likely elect Republicans and 23 which will likely elect Democrats. A House committee also approved a map projected to elect 98 Republicans. And the 180-member House and the full House could vote on that map today. In other news, 2021 is not over, we all know, but the Georgia Department of Education has already issued its legislative priorities for 2022, as our WABE education reporter Martha Dalton reports. The department would like lawmakers to eliminate austerity cuts to schools. That would mean fully funding districts through a state formula.
1: Education officials say they'll push for more state money for school transportation, charter school facilities, and the $5,000 educator pay raises promised by Governor Brian Kemp. The DOE will also urge lawmakers to strengthen the teacher pipeline by developing a new evaluation system that provides support for teachers, especially those who need help. The department says it will support changes that let districts hire retired teachers to fill positions in high-needs areas. Martha Dalton, WABE News.
0: And finally, the state's Emergency Management and Homeland Security Agency says it looks like there won't be much ice or snow to worry about this winter. GEMA held its annual Winter Severe Weather Preparedness meeting yesterday, giving a glimpse of what to expect. According to GEMA officials, they say winter is a bad word. And, quote, we don't do ice and snow good here in Georgia. Close quote. That's what they said. The last official snow recorded was in January of 2018. Keith Stellman is a GEMA meteorologist.
1: Heading into a La Nina pattern over the next few months. Very similar to kind of where we were this time last year heading into winter. It does signal a pretty good chance, of,
0: a probability of seeing like warmer than normal temperatures over that three month period across the state. Stellman went on to stress weather is unpredictable. Even with all their mountains of data, he says it's best to always be prepared. Now, personally, I miss snow, but I'm from St. Louis. This is Closer Look And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Geronna Burke is the activist and founder of the Me Too movement years before it became a hashtag. But it really picked up steam four years ago. And now we're going to talk about, so where do we go now? Joining me now to talk more about advocating for survivors, the progress of the Me Too movement, and what's next is Danny Ayers. She's Atlanta-based and the CEO of Me Too International. Danny, welcome to the program. I appreciate you taking the time.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Not a problem. A very important conversation. Danny. let's begin with this. But what do you think are the misconceptions people have the most about the Me Too movement?
2: Yeah, um, I think because the hashtag went viral in a moment where Hollywood was experiencing a reckoning around sexual harassment and assault, the work of Me Too got conflated with Hollywood. And so a lot of people assume that Me Too is, it was either founded in Hollywood or it's about white women in Hollywood, women who have access to power and influence, Um, when the opposite is true, that Me Too centers black women and girls, always has back since the the early 2000s when Tarana started this work in Selma, Alabama. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, who it centers or who we want folks to know it centers and who gets the attention, that's totally different, Danny. Right, how did right. this happen?
2: Yeah, we we work really hard um, to to combat some of these stereotypes about the movement. The other big one is that um, that our work is around highlighting the perpetrators of violence. When in actuality, our core work that we do every single day is centers survivors of sexual violence, what their needs are, what demands we have to shift the material conditions they have, and what healing looks like.
0: And before we we take a deeper dive into that let's talk about then how then me too has had to maybe reshape or or refocus or reimagine how they're getting that message out when that is up against the Hollywood version of it which not to say that the Hollywood version is bad but the mission and at the core one might argue was sort of intentional or not hijacked by the Hollywood persona of all this
2: Yeah. It's been a lot. Um, our work when we founded the organization was really, you know, and this is back in, um, just a few years ago after the hashtag went viral, we we realized we needed an organization that had the muscle to actually speak publicly, get into mainstream conversation because of that, because we saw that you know, intended or unintended, the, the privilege and power of Hollywood is definitely overshadowing our work. So, um, I was brought on to support the growth and the development of the organization, and we've put a ton of energy into um, building out comms strategy, talking about what kind of narrative needs to be pushed, the way that we can get into mainstream conversation to talk about who we center. And those are the folks that are really experiencing sexual violence at the most astronomical
0: rates. When you talk about this growth and development, how you all had to come together, let's talk about who was in that room. I know it's a cliche when we talk about who's in the room, who's at the table, but it's important when you just, you just told me about y'all wanted to make sure you were looking at the growth and development. Well, who was part of that conversation and how diverse was it?
2: Well, from from the perspective of Tarana Burke, um, she and I worked together back in um, 2010 in Philadelphia doing arts for social change, Black arts for social change work. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so she called me early on when she decided she wanted to build an organization because my background is in um, building social uh, justice infrastructure, And so um, she wanted me to help her sort of build this organization. And we looked to the people that we have been working with for decades. Um, around social justice issues, many of them around racial justice issues Mm -hmm. specifically. Tarana's background before it was in sexual violence was in Black liberation, racial justice work. So we called on those folks. We called on the folks who are organizers and activists and been doing this quietly um, for for a long time. And those were our initial conversations. It's only more recently that we've been speaking you know, really developing campaigns publicly, working really hard to get into some of these larger conversations. Um, But for years we've been talking with our colleagues and friends who have been long organizing around um, how we bring the needs of our most marginalized communities to the mainstream conversation.
0: If you had to, and maybe a grade is not the right metric to assess this, but if you had to in terms of the last four years from that hashtag when it really started to to get noticed to now, how would you assess the the mission of the organization, what you all have been able to do? And do you measure it by, as you mentioned, you know, you you all aren't just focusing on looking at perpetrators. So how do you measure or gauge the effectiveness of Me Too?
2: You know, that's a great question, and we've talked a lot about this. Um, we really look at not only you know what have we been able to do as an organization, but because the hashtag went global and 12 million people in the first 24 hours tweeted me too mm-hmm. um we've taken a broader look at what has asking the question what has me too made possible mm-hmm. um and asking that question has allowed us to really understand how the hashtag and the ripple effect of that across the globe has impacted the issue of sexual violence or gender-based violence so we've seen shifts in Um, Not only, you know, material shifts in policy and, um, you know, issues around Title IX Mm -hmm. or the Violence Against Women Act, we're working on the Be Heard Act, um, but also shifts around um, the way we talk about sexual violence, Mm -hmm. the cultural shifts, the narrative shifts. We are measuring all of those and we have a long way to go. Right. This is an issue that um, we know is going to take. Uh, decades, a generation to really impact and interrupt. But there's been material shifts. There have been material um, movements away from what we call rape culture mm-hmm. um, in this country and globally. And so we celebrate those as much as we we continue to march forward and know there's work to do.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with Danny She is the CEO of Me Too International. And we're not only looking at the progress of the Me Too movement, but also looking to the future. Well, let's talk about some of the initiatives that you all have in place today that you didn't have four years ago. What are they?
2: Yeah, well, we just celebrated um, the four-year anniversary in October of the hashtag Going Viral. And this year's theme was all about... Um, what, beyond the hashtag right mm-hmm. um, it's it's great that 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 moment happened because it brought it into um, the you know conversations at kitchen tables that had never happened before but what do we do next right mm-hmm. and and our work is really around interrupting the prevalence of sexual violence um part of that is educating um, the general public on how prevalent the issue is um and also working with survivors around healing. So the kinds of um, initiatives that we're working on now are actually engaging with individual survivors to support them along their healing journeys. Um, we have initiatives around developing survivor leadership. Um, we know that survivors are at the heart of their of the solutions um, and the needs that they have as survivors. Um, we also are working with a lot of different organizations around advocacy and action so what are the ways that we can not only support survivors along their healing journeys but activate them politically to get involved um, in ways that we want to see material shifts for survivor conditions
0: mm-hmm. when you talk about now how this has become a global movement but i'm curious when we talk about because listen different regions around the world different cultures cultures traditions what some consider norms that vary you and I know both know that how do you all when you are in a region uh, around the world that may have a different cultural norm as it relates to the role of women how violence is used Mm -hmm. abuse how do you all? and I imagine you all have to work with folks in that community of that community first before you start going in with an initiative
2: Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, when we really started listening to the global community because there, there are, you know, Me Too movements all over the globe. Folks that have taken the U.S. Me Too movement and really tried to apply it locally mm-hmm. um, to advance their work around gender based violence. And so as we started to look at what it means for the movement to go global, um, we knew that the very first thing that that required of us is to listen to these local communities and what they are doing because these folks have been doing this work for decades, right? They didn't just start doing this work when Me Too went viral. Mm -hmm. And so our job was to has been to really listen and engage and build relationships with those local organizers and activists before we can even start to look at what we can do together. Because you're right, there are so many Um, variations culturally across the globe in terms of what folks are facing, the solutions that they want to see for their communities, the ways, the different levers that they need to pull in order to get things done. So that's the moment we're in right now is really building relationships, particularly across the global South um, Mm -hmm. with organizers and activists supporting marginalized groups.
0: Is there a initiative or a desire that you all want to implement but maybe you haven't? And what are still some of the challenges and barriers your organization faces?
2: You know, I think that for us, the we are really looking to build what what I would consider a global network of folks doing this work to interrupt and end sexual violence. Um, and that takes time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the the proverb, the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. Mm -hmm. If you want to go far, go together, right? And that is literally uh, what guides us every day. It takes time to build relationship. It takes time to build trust. And this work is dangerous in a lot of communities. Mm -hmm. um, And we want to honor that and respect that. So it's going to take time um, to build that global community. But that's what we need to actually interrupt and end this public health crisis. Um, I think one of the major challenges we have is really helping the broader philanthropic community to understand the issue of survivor justice and understand the work of doing gender based violence. I think there's a disconnect in understanding how many other social justice issues, racial justice, climate Mm -hmm. justice, economic justice is all so deeply connected to sexual violence. Um, And that education is something that we have to keep our gas on the pedal around how we educate folks on that so that they can understand why we need that support in order to
0: do this work. As it relates to education, Danny, how young is there a curriculum that you all are working on or you have that you think should be introduced in schools?
2: That's a great question. There's a lot of conversation right now. Um, You know, we are are deeply, deeply committed to seeing comprehensive sex education um, in schools. And that's actually part of one of the initiatives we're um, working on. Uh, There's a a wonderful coalition that we're in called Survivors Agenda. And it's all about, um, and it's actually, you can you can check out the agenda at survivorsagenda.org. And it's a comprehensive look at what we're calling for across so many different issue areas from education to labor, to housing. Um, and we created this agenda, we co-created this with individual survivors and with organizations who um, are serving survivors every day. And part of the, the education pillar inside of that is calling for comprehensive sex education. Mm -hmm. Um, It also includes what we're calling for inside of these other issue areas around labor and and workplace and all of that good stuff. So this year will really be about what what policies and actions are ripe that we are ready to push forward on. And we're currently um, naming those for 2022.
0: Do you all also look at states and grade them in terms of policy legislation laws what have you as it relates to sexual violence gender-based violence
2: we you know that's also in in conjunction with some of our um our survivors agenda policy work um we don't necessarily grade the states but we do focus on kind of with our partners that are based that are state-based partners um what are the the policies, what are the actionable campaigns that we can plug into and and sign on to them? And part of that is like, For us, understanding from a national perspective, where Mm -hmm. do we need to focus our energy? What are the local elections that we need to be focused on? Um, What are the ways that we need to galvanize survivors in that local community to to get out and vote? Um, That's really where we push our energy and and in response to those state-based organizations in terms of um, what's ripe for action.
0: How do you see this organization maybe another four years from now? And- (laughs) Your hopes and where not only just where it is in terms of outreach, but change to, it. you know, you we talked earlier about how you all gauge effective change and you laid out some some metrics that that people will listen to. And they say oh, that's great. So now four years from now, what do you hope those metrics will include?
2: Yeah, I, I really you know, I hope that um, we begin responding to the issue of sexual violence um, as a community. Uh, as opposed to looking at sexual violence as an individual issue. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're still seeing that um, very individualized response, um, which is very different from an issue like gun violence, for example, when there's gun violence in a local community, you see folks come together and say, this is not acceptable in our communities. We wanna see the same thing in terms of safety um, around sexual violence in local communities, so I would love to see in four years us have um, trained survivor advocates that come together when sexual violence is experienced in community, and demand change, uh, reimagine safety in communities in real material ways. And I think it's I think that is possible in four
0: years. But I, before I let you go, I do want to focus on a, another uh, area that I think that often we may not hear enough is being talked about in, and that's in our our faith based. Community. What's mm-hmm. your assessment with that in terms of what faith leaders and what role they can play in addressing gender based violence, sexual violence here?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a great question. And I think what we are calling on and what we want to see is more of our faith leaders stepping forward and um, being clear, right? Because we know that they're in the faith community, there is a history. Um, as there are in many of our institutions of sort of sweeping issues of harassment and abuse under the rug. Mm -hmm. And I think at this point, what we need is our leaders who recognize that this is not the way that they operate, that they see the world inside of faith and to like step forward and be like, I'm going to institute particular codes of conduct I'm going to institute a particular way that we can operate to call out when that stuff happens Mm -hmm. and to demand accountability in those environments.
0: And then finally, what about you, Danny? How long you want to do this work? You've been doing the work.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just love it so much. I think, um, I feel incredibly honored, um, and blessed to be doing this every day. And, you know, I was talking to Tarana about this the other day, um, So I got a good few more years in me and then and then it'll be time to hire a millennial, brilliant young mind to come in and take this organization into its next phase.
0: Ah, yes. Bring in the millennials. (laughs) (laughs) Danny Ayer, she is the CEO of Me Too International. Danny, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for the work that you all are doing to help so many people.
2: Thank you, Rose. Thank you so much for your thoughtful questions. I really, really appreciate it.
0: That's the clean version.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Closer look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. That is Yankee and the Brave. More about that in a moment. And it's from Run the Jewels 4 or RTJ 4. Hip hop duo, of course, Run the Jewels, which is comprised of LP and my next guest, Killer Mike. He's an Atlanta native and he holds a lot of titles. He's a rapper, he's an actor, he's a community activist, he's an entrepreneur. And most recently, trying to come into my lane, television host, although I'm not a television host, but I'm a host. And now he's hosting Love and Respect with Killer Mike. And guess what? It airs right here on our PBS station, ATL PBA, Friday nights at 10 p.m. Welcome, Killer Mike. Your, your folks named you Michael. Is it Santiago? Yeah,
1: Michael Santiago. <laughs> I love right that. Well,
0: we're going to call you Killer Mike.
1: Yeah, I don't know why little black girls in the 70s <laughs> had a fixation on naming their children Spanish names, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm very comfortable as I travel throughout the diaspora in the Caribbean and Central and South America.
0: We're going to call him Michael Santiago. Yeah, go.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, let's begin here. Before we get into love and respect, uh, I just want to get your thoughts, Mike, on, on this moment that we're still in. You know, the, living with this coronavirus, mm-hmm. uh, everything that happened last year, politics, protests, mm-hmm. the pandemic. How do you sum all this up, where we are right now?
1: Well, my first memories... uh, So Ted Turner starts this thing called CNN. um, You know, world news, uh, it just comes in your living room and your grandmother's floor model. So some of my first memories are Ayatollah Mm Khomeini, hostages, Mm -hmm. hijacking of planes. So there's never been a world where chaos didn't abound. Sure. Um, But this was different. This was different because it brought it out of TV into our personal lives where it affected us on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And it's froze the world and my grandmother used to have say a saying that when it stormed she turned everything off and said be be still while the lord is working. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not a religious person particularly, but there's a philosoph there's a ph- ph- there's a philosophy in just sometimes doing nothing and resetting. And I think we've done a lot to make sure that we're safe, but what it allowed me to do on a personal level for me was to reset, to spend more time with myself, to spend more time with my wife and children, to spend more time in my local community being of service. Mm-hmm. Not just a famous guy in the community that does things, but literally being of service, standing next to alumni Frederick Douglass and feeding families, um, closing my business and using, you know, using my businesses as points of storage for people who were trying to get good things out in the community. So I have, in the last two years... Return to kind of philosophy of my grandmother, and just making sure I'm of service. And
0: folks should know, the activism part of you really was there before you picked up the mic and started dropping, you know, Mm -hmm. my, you know, beats and lyrics here because you're an Atlanta native. I am. Adamsville, am I right?
1: Adamsville, your Carver Heights, Adamsville. All right. So,
0: this activism before you started rapping, but there's a gentleman that played a. There are a lot of folks that played a significant role, but I want to give you a chance to really pay homage to one, which is the Reverend James, James Orange. James Orange,
1: yeah. So James Orange, if you guys watch Selma, my brother Omar Dor- Dorsey played him, James Orange um, met Dr. King as a teenager. And this is Dr. King and Andy and Hosea and Ralph Abernathy and um, Joseph Lowry. He's the younger of those, and mm-hmm. he is an absolute powerhouse organizer. He organizes everybody from the people who park, park um, cars at the Blue Flame Lounge to the Teamsters Halls, <laughs> you know, to the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers to just the average everyday black working class family in the city. He's one of the big reasons that, you know, you still have unions mm-hmm. here because he worked hard to make sure that you still can He's one of the big reasons our uh, civil rights progress because he was right there with Dr. King, right there, co-organized with people like John Lewis, who was in SNCC, and Stokely Carmichael. And had it not been for James, I wouldn't have become the organizer I am. Now, Every story even has a prequel. So mm-hmm. before I met James and how I met James was a woman named Alice Johnson mm-hmm. who worked in league with Jean Childs Young, who Angie Young's late wife. Mm-hmm. And we listened to 90.1 every single day, W-A-B. We listened to NPR every single day. And this is from a 14-, 15-year-old kid being trained to organize by her and organized mm-hmm. by James. And Alice gave me one of my f- philosophies that I will take to the death with me to the grave with me. And if you don't organize, because she was a white woman from northern Chicago mm-hmm. t- down here teaching kids who weren't white, didn't look like her, how to, how to be organized. She said, she sat on the board and she said, I'm not going to continue. Well, she was the executive director. I'm not going to continue this job unless these children are allowed to be on the board as well. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the adults are looking like, what? And she says, you don't organize for people. You organize with people.
0: To that point, because I want to... F- then fast forward from when you are that that young man, uh-huh. that young, that teen, the boy, yeah. to then where you, you have to come in and and you sort of have to talk to another generation. Yeah. The night of May 28th, yeah. I believe it was last year, you along with Reverend Bernice King, T.I., Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. Yeah, Joe in, Beasley was there. Joe Beasley, all in yep. attendance. I'm going to play this clip in a late night press conference.
1: Yeah. So I'm duty bound to be here to simply say that it is your duty not to burn your own house down for anger with an enemy. It is your duty to fortify your own house so that you may be a house of refuge in times of organization. And now is the time to plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. It is time to beat up prosecutors you don't like at the voting booth. It is time to hold mayoral offices accountable. Chiefs and deputy chiefs, Atlanta is not perfect, but we're a lot better than we ever were, and we're a lot better than cities are. I'm mad as hell.
0: Clearly, an emotional moment for you. As you're going to that press conference, as you're watching, like so many of us were watching what was unfolding, and some would say there are two... Lens to look through here. Yeah, those who were really upset about what was happening. Yes, and those who just wanted to destroy some stuff. I use stuff. If I was on your show, I could say the other word.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so take me back to that moment, Mike, as you're watching this in the city.
1: Yeah. That well, you love? Yeah. Um, well, what you're hearing there is an organizer. You know, you're not hearing a rapper. You're hearing an organizer. You know, challenging people who are rightfully angry to choose logic over mayhem in the moment. The march that was organized, a brother put it together from the side of Fulton, was an important march to have. It was an important demonstration to have. It, it made sense to do to let you know. Um, what follows that, or you never know which agents are amongst you causing or pushing buttons, what followed that could have potentially not has been as productive as the demonstration was. And what you don't want is anger and emotion on the inside of a fort to destroy that fort when that fort is needed in order to give other people refuge, to learn, to organize, to pivot from. Atlanta is one of the strongest black economic and social cities in the whole African diaspora. So when you talk about diaspora, you talk about West Africa, the Caribbean, Central and South America, Canada, United States, this little city Mm -hmm. that oftentimes we take for granted that, You're going to see people in power who look like you. And if we burn this city to the ground, if everything leaves the city, where do we go and what do we do in terms of being organizers?
0: You, of all people, understand the frustration for some. Absolutely. And everything that you said about Atlanta. And then there's another optic to this is that, you know, Atlanta also is a city that is of the haves and have-nots. That's something our beloved Manor Jackson talked about. We know about Atlanta and its income inequality. Yep. So as you, and tip, and I only use YouTube because you are of the, the hip-hop community. Yeah, And you're telling folks, maybe in their teens, maybe a little, even a little bit older. Yeah. And y'all took some heat. Y'all yeah, did. yeah, yeah, absolutely. How'd you receive that?
1: I, it comes with the job. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't. First of all, I didn't want to be there. Let me tell you something. didn't want to be there. I, I didn't. I told y'all I didn't want to be there. I, I, so, so, <laughs> qualify I know what you mean when you say you didn't want to be there. You didn't want to be there, but you had to be there. No, I didn't. Like you, you got to go watch my interview with the mayor. <laughs> what she said she said I was figuring out who I could call or who we could call down here to speak to young people to speak to the parents of young people. She said, "Well, Ti, it's, 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 we got in touch with Ti. Killer Mike said he ain't coming. <laughs> That's literally the domestic. The they knew not to even call me because I, I was, I was, I'm angry with the system. Perpetually angry. The system, system. can always do that. The system, okay. right? Um." But I was with Noriega. I had the Bankhead Seafood truck out. I was with the rapper Noriega from Drink Jamps. and Noriega was drinking Moe and you know and, and and putting putting them in the air, and I was feeding them fried fish. And my buddy Tip comes over to me says, "Hey, um, the mayor's office called, and um, you know they want us to come down." And I say, "I said, well, they haven't called me." He said, "But yeah, but they asked, are we are we going?'" I said, "Um, uh, no, they call you." And then he said, "He said, well." Well, if you don't go, I ain't going. I said, Well, I guess we ain't going then. <laughs> and then so, so for the course of the next hour, he kind of edged me on until finally he was like, you know, I want to go. I just want you to come with me. And I jumped in the truck and I went down there with him. I followed him down there. And as I walked in the building, mm-hmm. you know, being 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 surrounded by black officers, having a black woman lead me through the building in the mayor, I started to understand and and, and again from, from a black community the importance of this city, and I really meant that. To burn this city down is to burn down a fort at, at this time. And It's not perfect by any means, but we have opportunity here that we don't have other places. So my challenge wasn't even saying you're wrong for rioting. My challenge is the day after the revolution, the children must be educated, the people must be fed, and order must be had. So we as organizers have to be responsible to do that.
0: Did you go over to the communities. Did you go out in there and talk to people? Did you
1: I'm never not in the community. Yeah. So I'm here today after just leaving Hollywood Road mm-hmm. and Fort Johnson Road, talking with city workers who are actually making sure that young people not young people, young people who are younger than the corporate developers we have, have an opportunity to mm-hmm. buy and develop on the West side.
0: Well let's talk yeah. about that because yeah. you and Tip have, and some others have been instrumental in trying to make sure that the West Side preserves some of its it, it. legacy. But Absolutely. as you know... It's hard. It's hard. And look, there are $400,000 yeah. townhomes on Bankhead.
1: Yeah, million-dollar townhomes coming, yeah. you know? And and what other city in the world would you find a rapper who takes millions of dollars of his, of his own money, buys the old grocery store in Kmart, and develops affordable housing at over 100 units? You know, I, I, I am... I'm enamored by my friend and I love him to death because he really puts his money where his mouth is.
0: He does. And then when you get in trouble, we want to smack him. Exactly. But but <laughs> and we're but, but, talking about tip. We love you, Tip. we yeah, talking about
1: but, tip. But but you know what? The one to smack, I wish that good news traveled as, as as bad as quickly as bad. Because a lot of times when he gets in trouble, he's no different from my cousin. He's no different from our own fathers and, and sons. The difference is his redemption value, man, he really redeems himself in a way.
0: Well, that being said, in terms of policy and what's happening with with. and by the way i would never smack ti
1: no no yes you would you're auntie him and sometimes he <laughs> needed that. he crazy he's still my little light-skinned friend he still get us in trouble and i just like <laughs> God, you know so he i I definitely auntie that, rose yeah. uh but
0: look we have a very important another mayoral election coming up we got a runoff we do um a lot of folks saying look this is pivotal obviously it's going to be a historic moment for atlanta it is and where this shit, this city is, is shaping its identity. Yeah, I know you're a political guy. You don't have to endorse anybody. I know who you. I know who you were rocking with early, uh-huh. earlier, and you know they didn't make it. But how do you see this next city government, this next installation of city government here, and being crucial to
1: your city? I you like have? candidates that are actually from Atlanta.
0: Why? Why? Why does that make because a
1: difference? Because you have been groomed in the Atlanta way. And what is that? The Atlanta way is cooperation and collaboration and understanding the marriage of public and private sector. Um, the, the Atlanta way is after the riots of 1906 where white Atlantans burnt down the city, white Atlantans were killing black people, that Atlanta understood as a city, if we're to be a city in the southeast that's going to be inclusive of all, then we got to make sure black folks got the fourth ward and black folks got Edgewood and Auburn and white folks that got Peachtree, but we got to work in collaboration. We can't burn the city down. Is
0: that Atlanta way, though, also sometimes it's easy to say
1: as opposed to easy to execute? It's hard to do, but you got to do it. Again, Tip could could have went and bought a Bugatti. He could have went and bought a bigger house in Sandy Springs. He could have went and bought another house south of the city. He chose to invest in a lot that had been empty for years and provide affordable housing so that the people who are much like us who grew up in this community mm-hmm. still can live there.
0: You and Tip are in the community. That, that's a given. But at the end of the day, too, you know, Mike, with what policies that are passed. Yeah from down at City Hall, impact especially those communities on the west side, yes. the southwest Atlanta. Yes. So the, public part, the public-private the public partnerships are great, but I, too, y'all, are you doing enough to make sure you're holding those folks accountable as much as you can?
1: Yeah, I was, I was going to say in terms of as much as I can, absolutely. If you do business with Mike and you say, well, we have a slush fund, we're going to give some money to the UNCF. We're going to say, no, you're not. You're going to give money to Next Level Boys Academy. You're going to give it to communitybuilders.org. You're going to give it to a very local community that handles very specific things that takes care of very specific problems. If you're a developer and you're dealing with me, we're going to, we're going to do this development deal together. We're going to do a base minimum of 20% for it. No, we're going to do... 30 to 35. We're going to make sure that we do more than is expected of us. And in terms of the Atlanta way, let me tell you guys I'm not talking about Boule Negroes getting together at secret Greek meetings or Masonic meetings, cutting deals with white folks. It's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a mixed community like the Collier Heights that houses everybody from working class people like my grandparents. Middle-class people like my best friend, um, Robert and Cleons, parents who worked in martyr and um, schools, and very rich people like Herman Russell. Mm -hmm. Because the Russells lived there, Billy, Cynthia, McKinney, we had schools like the Carrier Heights, had schools like Frederick Douglass before it was destabilized. It was National School of Excellence. Put me right on the pathway to Morehouse. The Atlanta way is in making sure working-class children, Mm -hmm. due to the hard work and their own merit, can work their way up the economic and social ladder.
0: When you consider... That we now have a community, a neighborhood, Buckhead, that wants to carve itself out away from the city. Yeah. And we know how important that is for APS. Absolutely. So if you were if you were mayor, <laughs> mayor, mayor Michael <laughs> Santiago Render, and you had to deal with this Buckhead community,
1: what would you tell them? What would I tell Buckhead? Yeah. I'd tell Buckhead the same thing you do. I'd invite them to a community meeting on the west side. You know, so Buckhead, I'd like you guys to come to Grove Park and Center Hill in Adamsville and I'd like for us to meet as one community. Because Buckhead is west to west side. It's northwest of the neighborhood that T.I. T and and I grew up in. It is three oh three eighteen. The exact same area code for parts of it. There is no reason that people on Carrier Road, where I go to DOS Barbecue, do not know people on Carrier Drive, the street I grew up on. Mm-hmm. So first thing is let's get these people in a room together so that we're not talking about abstract people that are caricatures caricatures of each other in our head. Because they both got the same issues. The same issues. Crime want for better schools, want to want to know neighbors. That's I just encourage a big mix of people who work for the city of Atlanta to let's make sure that our development looks like the people here. Numerous races, numerous sexual orientations, numerous ethnicities, but we have to build individual connection. If we do not build individual connections in the city, we'll become fragmented, we'll become segmented off between the rich and the poor, and we'll continue the classism that divides this and other cities at a tragic rate. I used to go to San Francisco 20 years ago. It is not the same place Mm -hmm. i've been going to new york 20 years it is not the same place atlanta has the ability to get rid of that atlanta has the ability to not become that city but the first thing i do but the clock is ticking the clock is ticking but all hope's not lost here if again you're not seeing rappers develop affordable housing in any other city except atlanta so i I dare i say we can we must we will if you
0: just join us i'm in conversation with killer mike and then we're also now we're going to get into this new talk show love and respect with killer mike now look I love this program description. Mm-hmm. It showcases the rapper's rapid curiosity and eclectic interest and features a guest roster of notable names from all walks of American pop culture. Yeah. How'd all this come about?
1: Um, so I do this show a lot called, um, Poli- well, it used to be Politically Incorrect, this is Real Time with Bill Martin. Yeah. Shots out to Bill Martin. I
0: see all y'all on there fussing sometimes. Yeah,
1: we, we argue. He was in town the other night. Mm-hmm. I went to see him at the Fox um he afraid to have me on the show though so i'm, I'm gonna tell him he should have you we got to get rose scott <laughs> i um i met a guy named scott carter uh, mm-hmm. there who was the co-creator of politically incorrect and real time with him and it's about five years ago he and bill both say man you're good you need a show and um i was like thanks if, if you ever hear about something let me know um scott and Bill separated ways from their partnership. Scott was free and Scott decided he was going to help me and Bob Costas. So <laughs> I was honored to be in the number. So he's helped Bob Costas get bring that sports show to air. Mm-hmm. And he and I, um, quietly put together and my team quietly put together love and respect.
0: You like being on that side of the mic. Cause we know what you can do. you yeah. Control the mic when you, when you're on stage, which is a little bit different, yeah. but does that help you?
1: It does. Yeah. I like, I like, um, I'm used to getting asked the questions, you know, and being the nervous one. But this way, I get to ask the questions and just be a curious kid. I'm just, I'm just a talkative, curious ten year old. That's just never changed.
0: That's how it starts. It yeah. Started with me. And You've talked to the mayor, Mayor Kishland Spolich, had Dominique on there. Yeah, big boy. Mm-hmm. Now, what's funny about the watching the, the clip? And I haven't seen all of it with you and Big Boy because, and I know, that, and that's your man, y'all. That's
1: y'all been my, tight. They put you on decades ago. Absolutely.
0: And then y'all had a beef back in the day. Yeah, that, that our, I'm, I'm putting it on out here. Our beloved John Lewis had to come in and say, "Now, yeah. now, fellas," yeah. yes. He said, "And my John Lewis, terrible voice." He said, "Michael,
1: <laughs>
0: Mr. Patterson, come here. I want to talk to you." Yeah, he did. He How did. much is it has he meant to you oh, in your career?
1: Man, to say to say that, you know, I'm an organizer. You know, now I'm a mobilizer. Now they call me and I show up and. You know, extra people come. But as an organizer, when you know what happened at Edmund Pettus Bridge at Selma and you Mm -hmm. see those pictures and you realize the kid that took that beating near death for you is now this adult man. So he's lived it, cares about you enough to share, cares about you enough to give you, you know, concern I just have always been honored. I'm not or I wasn't taught organizing haphazardly. I was taught organized by the people who organized directly next to, you know, a Christ-like figure in my sitting and beyond. Mm-hmm. So I take their words as heavy as a stone on a scale. So when he calls me or James would call me, James never called me Killer Mike. James Orange only called me Leader and Michael. He called everybody mm-hmm. Leader, but he'd only call me Michael. So I took it seriously. When he called me, me and Big a my grandmother called me first. And, oh, man, I was feeling shamed. You know, your grandmother <laughs> called you. She was like, what's wrong with you? I didn't teach you to, you know, and I am just like, oh, man. Y'all were raw. Yeah. Y'all went at each other. Yeah, we did, you know. I mean, but it, it was, happens. Yeah, but like Big said, that wasn't even on us. That was just different people on our <laughs> sides. <laughs> but um, but when when John called me, I, I remember getting a call from whoever was assisting him at the time. It says, you know, Congressman Lewis would like to speak to you. And I'm like, he's like, hello, Michael. I'm like, yes, sir. He says, I've heard about and And I, I couldn't deny it. He said, I, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. That's very disappointing to hear And man, the word disappointment You can be mad at me You can be furious with me I'll get mad back I'll cuss you back I don't care But when when someone I revere Says they're disappointed It hits me mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, it just I sunk
0: Let's let's segue in a moment for that Because I love hip-hop yeah. I grew up I remember the first time I heard the message I grew Ooh. I grew up in St. Louis So we got all our music From obviously New York Uh-huh and I remember hearing the message, and you know, mailing mailing those guys, you know, telling a story. Yeah. So for me, hip hop, my int- in- entry into it is with these great storytellers. Yeah. So when I hear, and I got, and I'm gonna ask you this at the end of the the segment, but my top five are storytellers. But then some people don't see hip hop or rap that way. They no. see rap as just this. And let's be clear; it can. It's true that with the the violence and mm-hmm. the, the misogyny and dropping all those words, how do you balance that? The issues that people I look at you making
1: noise, like throwing trash. Oh, I'm sorry. Throwing like we had, I got comfortable. Like yeah, we like you crib. had. Like we had the crib. I apologize.
0: <laughs> Take your shoes off. <laughs> um, how do you balance that? Do you is there is there some type of reconciliation that needs to happen with rappers and and
1: and let me give rap its credit.
0: Well, oh, okay, but I want you to answer my question, too. I'm going to answer your All question, right. because
1: usually what people do is go into defense mode and say, yeah, but. Yeah. I'm not going to, yeah, but. I'm going to say, absolutely. We have been as violent, as misogynistic as as Shakespeare, as modern and old movies, as any form of theater or art that man has ever created. You know the difference in rap? Rap self-regulated itself from day one. hmm you have had female presence in rap every step of the way, and what I mean is well, not, a little slow, but okay. Because I'm because Salt on, and Pepper, now. I'm an old man too. Salt and Pepper showed up first of all. Roxanne Shantae. let's 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 right. let's a 15 year old girl strained a whole genre, a right? whole just she, neighborhood. She, she wiped everybody down. Right. So so Roxanne Shante was my first rap hero. Mm-hmm. She sent my mother a picture of her. On her way to a group home, an actual picture, not like a picture you got developed, sent that to me as inspiration. So Shantae off the top then this isn't you talking about Shantae you're talking about like eighty five
0: mm-hmm. so well right in sequence the... a little earlier before that with After, Angie yeah, B yeah,
1: see, okay Angie B was but Shantae was different mm-hmm. because she was with the boys. Right. She had on the denim, the leather jacket. She was letting you know I'm not no sucker, which she still does to the day. Yeah. Salt and pepper came up. Queen Latifah came up Light? Miss Melody came up. Light came up and every step of the way they check them, but then people say well that was the exception they were the positive note. Look at the look at the rappers who were cursing. Two live crew would have records where the guys and girls are going back and forth. So maybe you guys who are only associated with New York rap don't understand. In the Southern clubs, you would have these weird contests. I got you. Where, where you know I'm saying, ladies, if you tell, tell them, I don't want no bro, go home. I got you. Too short was already too short, put the two females dissing him. So what I'd like to see is the accreditation for us self-balancing. Trina, trick daddy, we wouldn't know him without in the same way without if ain't now because trina showed up she didn't show up like i'm happy to be on this song no nope. she showed up like sucker this is my song and it was beautiful so i just want to say that black folk period whether it's blues music whether it's rock and roll we have always given greater power to the woman than we've given credit for
0: okay but is there still then there but so have we come have we overcome that you look at Meg De I don't ever think you overcome. I yeah. think you keep
1: working. Keep working? Yeah, you keep working. You right. it, like because To overcome is like, so after Moses got him to the mountaintop and Aaron took him down to the valley, they still had to do work the next day. Man, we went from hip-hop to the Bible. I love it. Yeah, just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so for me, there there is no end point where everything is perfection. You can't show me five guys at any given time better than Nicki Minaj. Uh, well, that's a whole nother We ain't got who, no time Who, who she ain't outrepped oh, And I love everybody rapping I, but Who she ain't outrapped. You mean currently Who has Nicki Minaj uh, In terms of the current crop Cause you know Who hasn't she outrapped? Uh, the current who, here, yeah. Cause I wanna be fair yeah. Who wanted it with light yeah. In her prime well, Who I mean, wanted it with light
0: no, no, I nobody. You didn't want, you didn't want
1: to smoke, no, and you, you didn't want to smoke from Queen Latifah. That's all I'm saying. Even though, even though Geronimo wrote some of her stuff, I'm just saying like, oh, like there we stuff. go, because you I ain't know, no, hey, no, Queen, my don't girl. let
0: me give you the list of rappers that don't write their own stuff. But anyway, uh, <laughs> before I let you go, um, this show. Uh, love and respect. Uh, yes. Will we get to see? We'll we get to see, what? What we just witnessed here, what folks are hearing now, that's what they're gonna get on the, on the show.
1: This is what they get on the show. I interview an absolute idol of mine. And I'm excited because I think it's gonna be a two parter Mr. Tyler Perry. Oh yeah. And um, yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just folk. It's just like my grandmother when she used to go pay a power bill. What you do, baby? When <laughs> what you do for a living? And, and that's all. I'm inspired by Miss Betty Clunts. I just want to have conversations that grow me. That's it. Who's on your necklace, man? This is my mother. This is Denise. Yeah. And this is her mother that raised me, Miss Miss Betty. from Miss Betty. Yeah. She was the one in the M.P.U. meetings in the Collier Heights.
0: We all got a Miss Betty <laughs> in our family. Uh, before I let you go, got to ask you this. You know yeah. what's coming. Who's your top five?
1: Uh, Scarface is the greatest storyteller ever, and put any four you want to behind him. I don't care.
0: Really? Yeah, Scarface. Where do you, where do you put Mike? Michael Santiago Render.
1: I'm a student of Scarface and Ice Cube and Roxanne Shante.
0: I love it. Killer Mike (laughs) Rapper Actor Community activist Entrepreneur And the host of Love and Respect Killer Mike It airs on our AT Our PBS show Our PBS Fridays At 10 p.m. And Sundays too Look at you Mm -hmm. On the schedule Um, It's just When I think about That I can watch Clifford the Big Red Dog Yep And you know Sesame Street Yep And and, you know A British comedy I love them And something cooking And then I can watch you Yep Thanks for taking the time. Kevin Love Mike. and respect. I appreciate Thank it. you so much. All right. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder you can catch Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. It's free. Subscribe to Closer Look or wherever you like. And if you missed any of this program, it's always online. That's WABE.org slash Closer Look. Y'all know that. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. I will tweet out my top five in just a moment.